Welcome to Cross Section, conversations at the intersection of faith, news and culture. Hi and welcome to Cross Section. Last week I mentioned that I recorded the intro for this podcast when I had a very bad cold. Some listeners clearly took that as an invitation to come up with replacements and I've been sent this that I thought you might like to hear. EA Talks, it's in his name. So if you have another suggestion or would like to play your hand at the cross-section intro, feel free to record one and send it to cross.section at eauk.org. Warning, I will almost certainly play it for our other listeners to hear. This week, all walks of life have celebrated and acknowledged women as part of International Women's Day that was Wednesday. Today, I'm joined by the wonderful Peter and Alicia. Is there any women in your life that you would like to particularly celebrate this week? Uh, I'm going to go for my daughters um, who have profoundly shaped me. So I am one of a number of boys, went to an all-boys school. I have two daughters. It definitely uh, keeps me on my toes. Um, Both of them are fantastic and brilliant at shaping me and my thinking while I also (laughs) shape them as their parents (laughs) so definitely those two and I got a shout out to my mum otherwise she'll tell me off because she's my one listener um how about your wife not to put words in your mouth but I know but she knows I didn't want to say oh right oh my mum my wife and my daughters uh yes absolutely um Alicia I mean it's important to cover all bases Peter but it's good it's good to know all the women in my life are acknowledged this week um, mine's a shout out to Ruth, who probably is listening to this podcast. She's been a long friend, uh, mentor, pastor, um, probably one of the main reasons that I recommitted my life to Christ uh, as a teen. Uh, and she's been heavily influential in my faith journey. So shout out to Ruth. She She's due a, a, a cinematic view in heaven. She's endured quite a lot. With him, so yeah. <laughs> cinematic view, that is so good. Well, I'm keeping mine classic and shouting out my mum, who is both wonderful and kind, has always taught me what it looks like to put Jesus first and will almost certainly be listening to this on Friday morning. Before we get into this week's news, we're going to bookend today's episode with a couple of questions from our listeners. The first is from friend of the podcast, Dr. Steve, who has been in touch before and Steve emailed cross.section at eauk.org just as any of you can to ask this I like Danny's phrase faithful compromise in reference to Kate Forbes this is in reference to last week's episode I'd love to hear the team exploring this theme more what are the issues we should stand up to in the public square and what should we faithfully compromise on Alicia I'm going to come to you first with this one because um Peter's mind looks like it's racing. Well, a great question, Dr. Steve. Um, I would say in two components, there's a need to be faithful, first and foremost, to the word and scripture. There's a recent survey that came out from uh, The Guardian where it said that the UK ranks the top four countries when considering divorce, homosexuality, casual sex and abortion is considered acceptable. So the UK is the top four countries and all those issues and I think as Christians our first starting point is are we willing to be faithful to scripture in a culture that is forever moving away from the teachings of Christ 
uh, and to his witness. So I think that's the first challenge that we have to contend with. And the second is also to give the kind of biblical view narrative and engage in all these difficult topics and conversations. What is the long-term vision, the eternal vision of marriage and how does that speak into situations of divorce? What is the Bible and biblical narrative around sexual expression and where that's placed and how does that speak into a culture of persistent casual sex um, and so on and so forth. So that would be my first point in terms of the culture is engaged in these conversations, all the hot topics of the time and the moment. And the first step for us as Christians is to be faithful. And then the second part in terms of where do we compromise? I know there's much conversation or many look to the likes of Daniel as an example, as the kind of biblical go-to and think, yes, I would stand before Nebuchadnezzar and I would not eat his food and I will do all this. But I think there's things about Daniel's story that was in the hidden place that enabled him to be bold in a place of exile. He was a man that was undivided. He was continually devoted to the Lord, continued in prayer that he would pray three times a day towards Jerusalem. Are we people that pray things like thy kingdom come regularly? Are we a people of prayer? Are we devoted to kind of God's word and direction? I think those disciplines of prayer, fasting, which he did, that distinctiveness allows us to know and discern in the moment what policy issues we should compromise on or seek kind of collaboration with and from. I'm glad you brought up Daniel because I got pulled up by a listener last week because I said that Daniel um, was willing to eat the king's food or the, the local <laughs> the local cuisine. No, he was willing to eat the king's food, which is, of course, wrong. That was one of his red lines. He didn't eat food sacrificed to idols. So thank you, listeners, for keeping me on my theological toes. Keep it coming. Um, Peter, faithful compromise. What have you got to add? I, I was struck when Danny said the phrase and probably kind of went, oh, that's an interest. I wasn't one I was actually familiar with. So uh, I can't believe Danny says that we get a question and Danny's not here to defend <laughs> his own phrase. But he did send us a link so, to an article that James K.A. Smith had written in which he used it and, and references Daniel. And actually it comes from Oliver O'Donovan behind that. And I do think Daniel is the great example because it always is that there to be a Daniel stand up. And, but what are the things he did compromise on were language and culture and the name. And I think the name is the most challenging because Belteshazzar is a name to a foreign god. Like that is, it's an interesting place. He did not draw a line there, but then on the food that was offered to the idols. So um, I think faithful, absolutely critical. Compromise is seen as a dirty word. Uh, often, I think in Christian culture, we're like, oh, we don't compromise. But the reality was we all have to live in a world that is not the kingdom come. It's the now and the not yet. And so I think Kate Forbes did a very interesting job in saying, though she has personal views on marriage and, and the redefinition, she's not going to undo that. Culture has made its decision. She did say on gender, it's so significant. She is going to try and undo that if she wins. And she's going to, because it's kind of live. It, it's not a settled matter. And actually culture is quite a mix of views. And then she talked about conscience issues, like something like assisted suicide, and that she would want to vote a particular way and others might take a different view. And I think it's that. So as Alyssa said, we have to be absolutely faithful to the text. These aren't issues we can run away from. And I don't think it's compromise. What we have to be careful, it's not that we change our views or lessen our views, but we have to engage in a culture that takes a different view. And that will require, we can't force our ways. I can't force people to tithe and give their money to charity. So where are the places where I say, that's not appropriate for me to push that in, but I still want to talk about it. I still want to have the conversation I don't want to ask questions as to why the other person has taken the view that they have and where can we find potentially 
compromise or an accommodation or a joint way to move forward. Um, so I think there are interesting spaces to explore in that. But mainly, I can't believe Danny ruled it out and then disappeared off. I or did you did you sack him? <laughs> <laughs> no, Danny is not sacked. He's actually in Scotland today, working alongside our Scottish policy team at the EA. So doing very important work. I'm sure he'll be back next week. I believe. Maybe, maybe. Um, on this, I I kind of in my thinking of how to answer this question, I sort of went a different angle of often when we talk about the public square, we think about people like Kate Forbes who are on that, uh, who's on that national platform. But I think it's, it's helpful to take it down to what I always call small A advocacy of the everyday Christian in the everyday workplace. Um, last year, we brought out um, a resource called Living for Jesus at Work. And in writing that, I spent a lot of time thinking about these things. Um, and what it made me think of was in Rome, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul says in verse 22, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in, in its blessings. And it made me think about faithful compromise, not necessarily in terms of these big um, conscience or these big moral issues, but more in terms of um, are we willing to put ourselves second and the gospel first in terms of when we're hanging out with people at work and maybe, I don't know, they're going to the pub after work, which wouldn't be our first choice. We want to get home. Um, are we willing to put ourselves aside to invest in the people that we're around, compromise our own preferences um, in that sense to spend time with people, love them well? and look for opportunities to speak about Jesus. So hopefully that helps answer your question, Dr. Steve. Right, let's move on to our first story from this week's news, which is the illegal migration bill. This is a hotly contested and somewhat polarizing topic. Um, this is of course the news that this week, Suella Bravman announced the new immigration bill, illegal migration bill, um, particularly tackling the issue of small boats. What I'd really love to do in this conversation is to challenge the opinions we naturally hold. The New Testament talks a lot about considering others above, your, above yourself, for example, in Philippians, and not letting the church become divided. And I think a way that we can guard against that is to really take time to listen to each other. So on the cross-section webpage, this week, I'm going to attach articles that represent opposing views. And what I would really encourage you to do is to read the article that you would naturally disagree with. But looking at the bill itself, Alicia, can you give us a bit of an overview? An overview, a whistle stop tour. Um, I'm actually going to also take the opportunity to signpost. I've had slightly more time this week to mull over the 60 page piece of legislation and are, is posting a video that hopefully will come out this weekend or early next week. So do go check that out. It goes through more details on the policy implications. But in short, as you said, the Home Secretary and the Prime Minister have kind of put their backing behind this bill. Uh, and essentially what it's doing is Tackling small boat crossings, it removes the right for any individual um, to seek asylum in this country. 
Um, it gives power to the Secretary of State to remove that individual either to their country of origin or to a safe third country if that's not possible um, or a third and safe country. Um, it's confronting issues that no individual, however they enter the UK, can use human rights claims. They will be considered inadmissible. Uh, in other words, the Home Secretary will not consider that for application. Um, and there's just many legal challenges around this that are difficult, uh, somewhat competing with other parts of legislation, which we might talk about in terms of modern slavery. Uh, but it essentially uh, gives wholesale power to the Home Secretary to remove those that enter the UK by small boat or other means and gives them the power to detain and to remove them. And can you just dig into some of the detail of the speech for us? Because I saw um, Krish Kandai, who's a huge advocate for refugees, he posted a video particularly tackling, there was the number of 100 million, um, 100 million was it people heading heading to our shores or something like that? Could you just dig into that a little bit for us? Yeah, so in the Home Secretary's statement in Parliament, um, she alluded to that figure explaining the global crisis that is the migration crisis, that there are currently, by UN figures, close to 100 million people displaced um, around the world, but in her wording gave the implication that those people are looking to come to uh, the UK and Krish Kandaya rightly pointed out that actually 100 million people, the majority of whom are either internally displaced within their country or they resettle within other countries neighbouring to where they are. It's not 100 million people that travel to the UK to seek refuge or asylum. So I think that was the main point that he was challenging and actually asking the Home Secretary to come back in to correct that statement. I've heard commentators say this week that um, this is one of the first big pieces of legislation, legislation that Rishi's government is bringing forward and that perhaps the reason they're starting with this is that it's supposedly going to be a sort of unifying piece of legislation. And um, why help us understand, and to be clear, I'm going to ask for both points of view, but why are people for this kind of legislation? The, the, the main... The challenge is that the government is seeking to resolve that is a huge problem, particularly for constituency MPs along the southeast coastal border, is the reality that pretty much on a monthly basis, there could be anywhere between 200 to 1,000 individuals in boats coming on kind of the, the Dover shores. Uh, and, and that's a challenge. How do we rightfully or how does the government respond to that crisis that is growing and escalating year on, year out, that there are small boats crossing. We have the other contextual challenge that's happened in recent history of we've had the fall of Kabul uh, and the need to resettle those um, from Afghanistan. And many of those and other individuals that are seeking asylum are living in hotels. So whilst the crisis comes into the southeast, actually those individuals are men, women and children are dispersed across hotels across the United Kingdom, which then it becomes a constituency issue. Is it right? I agree. Uh, disagree. Agree with the point. No, it's not right. 
that people are living in hotels for a prolonged period of time whilst their applications are being considered. So these are two kind of conflicting, difficult challenges that government needs to respond to. And the unifying point is um, that there is public support for this. Uh, a YouGov mm. poll came out. There is support for we need to tackle small boat crossings. And within the Conservative constituency and MPs, it's one of the one issues that keeps coming back again and again that they need to confront. So that unifies the party. So that's part way of explaining the unification point. And it's such a long and deep issue that they feel they need to do something really radical in order in order for it to actually have an impact. Um, but I guess so the flip side to that question of, of why are some people taking issue with the particular legislation that's come out? First, you've got asylum seekers, you've got refugees who have a kind of legal, if you get through this and to get a refugee where you get the status that you're fleeing from persecution, but there are migrants, those who move for economic reasons. I mean, you know, I studied in Canada and as I would be treated as a migrant if I wanted to work in that space. So this happens at all sorts of levels, as well as those coming on small boats. And many countries have systems about the economic migration. Um, and, 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 and you can see, I mean, we're just traveling around the Southwest. You could see some of the impacts in towns. There are definitely changes. People perceive the change. So there's responses at multiple levels here. So the polling will tell you that this is a popular policy on most of the polling. But you read the media and you think it's very unpopular. So we've got to look behind and say, why is that? I'm not saying it's for either of those views. I just want to go, let's go underneath. Why do people want that? They feel culture is changing around them. You see small things, like the TikTok, small but important, uh, girls in schools closer to the areas where uh, some of the migrants are initially being housed, saying they're being told to change. They're being told to change their appearance and the way they operate so that they are in no way... Um, they didn't use the word seducing, but something like that to these young men. So they, they were being attacked and the girls were saying, hold on, we're being told to change our behaviour to accommodate newcomers. And that gets very contentious. And then we are wrestling theologically. I think there's sometimes a bit of a simplistic, Jesus was a refugee, that's all easy and good. That is true. And we absolutely want to welcome the foreigner in. And the Old Testament laws are really clear on that. So we need to provide a place of welcome you're also welcome into an established community and national boundaries and borders seem to have a place as well in the text. We talk about different people groups, different ethnicities, so it's the goyim, the peoples in the Old Testament. So how do we honour two things that are going on there? There are There's a sense of community and relationship formed by peoples, but you welcome in the outsider and those who are vulnerable and those in need. I think a lot of people are open to that idea, saying we need to do two, but the reality of the level of these crossings is creating the problem. And very few people, it's not as if I think anybody's going, there's a simple policy response of only we could all agree to it. I don't think what's being proposed is a good idea, but it's not that I have a great alternative that I could say, I think this is a great biblical response. It's easy to say, ah, that, you know, we have to welcome the refugee. Hold on, what do we mean by refugee? Do we have the systems and structures to do that well, to house and to welcome? And in what way do those coming in engage in what we already have as a cultural story and as a society? and anchor in. I think there's quite a lot of questions about how we do that well, and I don't think there are simple answers to that. In some ways, this is Dr. Steve's faithful compromise. How do we be faithful to the text? But the reality of, we have to pass a piece of legislation that will almost always involve some level of compromise around some of the issues. But I am, I'm also somewhat conscious that Alyssa and I have done a lot, Alyssa's done most of the talking, to be fair, because she's read it all. So Joe Evans, come on, this is the hot button issue of this week. You're asking lots of questions. Give us a little bit more of your insight on this. 
turning that spotlight around. Very interesting tactics, Peter. Um, yeah, I think I think what you've just touched on on the faithful compromise is a really good point because on a purely sort of theological basis, everything that I hear about the small boats crossings and um, refugees makes my heart ache and think, um, how how could we possibly turn people away who um, are so desperately seeking somewhere else to live? Um, I think there's a lot of talk about countries like Albania where the the sort of government line is it's a safe country people don't need to come here and yet I look um with the with that framework of welcoming the stranger and seeking to be compassionate and I think no one gets in a small boat who feels that their options are better in staying behind that's a desperate thing to do and how can we turn away the desperate and and particularly when it comes to to issues of children or those fleeing abuse or those fleeing persecution it yeah it makes my heart ache and yet I've been really challenged as I've tried to listen to various MPs um, being interviewed on the topic or read various articles of um to to simply view it in that way is to simplify a very complex issue and like you touched on it's affecting people um for example on the southeast of england in their homes and um you know if we were so so my again my theological brain says god created this world and he put us in it i'm not naturally patriotic by yeah in my character who cares whose is whose country? Let people go where they need to go. But that's very simplistic. It's a lot more complicated than that. Um, if we opened our borders completely and let anyone and everyone in, that's obviously going to have a lot of negative impacts on other people. So um, all that to say, it, it, I find it very difficult. And I love listening to you see talk about it. I'm interested to see where the legislation goes, what the reaction is. I've heard a lot of people say that it's just not workable legislation. So time will tell. Does um, Are you satisfied with my answer, Peter? Yeah, no, no, I think you're right. And it's worth saying that even Joe Lance will be saying more on this and Alicia in particular will be taking the lead on that. These are initial responses until we see detail, until we see a little bit more about what's going on. And then we will engage substantively and fully in what's being proposed. Well, you can follow that work along with everything else that we as the advocacy team do at the Evangelical Alliance by following us on Twitter at EA UK News, on Instagram, Evangelical Alliance. And as we've mentioned a couple of times already, you can get in touch, cross.section at eauk.org. I've mentioned it the last couple of weeks. I will continue to mention it. We are currently running a listener survey. We want to hear who you are, where you're listening from, what you want us to be talking about more. You can find a link to that survey in the episode description on the cross-section webpage. And I believe it's going to be in a few of the EA newsletters this week and in the next couple of weeks. So all that to look forward to. Our third story this week is on abortion buffer zones. Isabel Vaughan Spruce, director of March for Life, was arrested on Monday for breaching a public space protection order a buffer zone with the intention of preventing women from harassment as they go to an abortion clinic. Isabel was praying in the vicinity and she was arrested. 
Alicia, Isabel's case coincides with the public order bill debated in Parliament. Can you bring us up to speed with what is happening with the bill? Yes, uh, a timely conversation that's taking place in Parliament and actually Isabel's story is highlighting some of the pitfalls. So last year, an amendment came in uh, from uh, Labour MP Stella Creasy uh, uh, seeking to uh, introduce uh, abortion buffer zones around abortion uh, clinics essentially saying that anyone that sought to influence a woman's decision would uh, be in breach of that and it would be a criminal offence. And so there's been a lot of back and forth. And in fact, Isabel's case has kind of sprung up in that moment where she has been arrested um, towards the end of last year for silently praying outside an abortion uh, clinic um, at a time for which it was closed. And has this week, again, been uh, arrested, this time not for praying out loud, but for the idea that she might be praying silently. So there's been this conversation around freedom of speech, conscience, and whether the government has a right or any law has a right to prohibit speech. And so this week, uh, Conservative MP Andrew Lueth um, from Northampton South uh, implemented or suggested an amendment that would not seek to criminalise silent prayer, specifically his wording was no offence is committed under section one by a person engaged in consensual communication or silent prayer in a public space and that to do so is not to seek to influence. Um, so that was what's recently been discussed uh, in parliament. Uh, that bill or, or rather that amendment was voted down and it's likely to go back to the House of Lords for further considerations of other conversation points that are happening around that bill. I don't, I don't think this is really about abortion in many sense. This is the free speech and the praying piece. This is why, because uh, certainly the MP who brought the amendment wasn't somebody I was familiar with who I thought would be speaking in this cause. And um, there are, uh, there's somebody, in, a lady in the Lords whose name now escapes me. She's a real free speech advocate and very clear that we should, she's very pro-abortion, but she's very clear about the implications. It's Claire, um, Claire somebody, anyway, again, <laughs> got the first name. Uh, she is uh, but this is all about freedom of speech. So there you have an amendment that clarifies that silent prayer should not be an offence and that consensual conversation should not be an offence. And both of those got voted down. Thank you to somebody who's put in the chat. It was Claire Fox. Um, and, and so the fact that we live in a country where that's the case is the real problem. Look, is Isabel Vaughan Spruce pushing the boundaries of the law? Almost certainly. And I actually have no problem with that because I think it's a bad law in this case. Now, I'd also like to say that I think some Christians and others don't help themselves in what they do outside abortion clinics in terms of the big posters and the banners and getting in people's faces. I personally just don't think that's persuasive. I'm not entirely convinced it should be made illegal, but this shows the boundaries. And I think this is really unhealthy place for a, a society to go in terms of freedom for anybody in this moment. See, there is, there is something in this story that makes me feel slightly uncomfortable in, as he said, it seems to be about the free speech point, but at the same time, um, she is claiming to just be silently praying. But as Christians, we believe we have the Holy Spirit in us. We don't need to be in a certain place in order to pray. So it is just something that feels a bit disingenuous that she, the idea that she is just standing and silently praying there for prayer's sake. I, I think, like you said, I think there is a bit of point making which when that's combined with prayer makes me feel slightly uncomfortable. But like you said, I think, I think it 
the free speech point is important and and I'm with you in that a lot of the tactics I guess used around abortion clinics I don't think are the way you're going to change hearts and minds however I think if you if we go down to the very core of what we believe as evangelical Christians that each unborn life is is a life and is precious then you know you could you could ask why aren't we out there desperately desperately fighting for every one of those lives it's a tricky balance isn't it I I feel like it almost comes back to that faithful compromise question there you go that's the phrase that came faithful compromise again and it will look different for different people and I think we've got to respect some of that I'm absolutely opposed to abortion and what the, the abortion industry and these clinics are doing there are different tactics as to how we change that but I don't think this is primarily at this moment about that this is about freedom more generally and if you can ban prayer in any space in the UK silent prayer in your head mm. you can try and ban that you can't I agree that's a thought crime but the idea that you would even try to ban a thought crime is deeply disturbing to me I'm very thankful you can't and I can be in schools and I can be in, in all sorts of environments and walk through and I can pray anywhere and pray from here for something happening over there in Iran or in Asbury or wherever it is I totally agree with all of that but the odd time I do think we need to make a point Daniel does make a point in the story at times that we have to be right in the places we're going to be in the crosshairs what you sign off your emails what lanyards you wear what meetings you turn up to are all making points that is what it is to be human is to exist in a way that interacts with other people and um, so yeah i'm with her on this one because i think it's a deeper point worth making i believe we just played theological tennis let's go on to our final point of discussion this week Um, We're going to discuss another question from a listener. This is the question. Would it be possible to discuss the leaking of the WhatsApp messages to the Telegraph by Isabel Oakeshott? Again, we touched on this last week, but we've been asked to dig deeper, folks. We'd love to hear the team discuss the tension, if there is any, between trustworthiness, honesty and public interest. It's almost like there's been a subtle theme to our entire conversation this week. So... I ask you, is it ever okay to break a promise? Isabel Oakeshott had signed a non-disclosure agreement, a, a, a promise that she wouldn't um, wouldn't put these messages in the public domain. Is it ever okay to break a promise? Well, just to push back on that slightly, Joe, um, listening to um, the journalist in question, she says, and I only have her word, that she did not break uh, an NDA in the sharing of oh. these WhatsApp messages. Actually, uh, the parameters, so she was working on Mr. Hancock's book due out in 2023, I'd imagine, uh, and he, of his own volition, shared these WhatsApp messages, but there wasn't a disclaimer about the use of those only being for the book, which apparently is in the book. She's then used the opportunity. So I just want to push that back slightly on that uh, to kind of give honour to the journalist in that regard. In terms of how she's done the right. We we fact check as we go. It's great. (laughs) In in regards to has she been honest um, or has she tested trustworthiness? In many ways, she herself has also demonstrated something of a faithful compromise. To be to to do that, you run the risk of um, being unpopular. She, in sharing these WhatsApp files with a tab, I'm not tabloid, a telegraph, 
runs the risk that all of her political connections going forward, there's going to be a question mark over it. Is this conversation private or are you going to use this for another journalistic moment? So she's said, I'm prepared to endure that because I believe the public should know of the private conversations that have been going on in the discussions of lockdown, for which an inquiry might reveal, but it's highly likely that they may not. So I'm kind of with her in a rebellion, to be honest. I want to know the truth. As you, as you really, I mean, come on, these WhatsApps were coming out at the trial. She has form on this. This was a great story for her. Everybody's talking about her. I mean, I, that, for me, to go back to a different theme, the Kate Forge theme, like what has brought her to the fore is her integrity. So it's massive for us as Christians to have that integrity. In terms of promise breaking, I'd be extremely reluctant. You're always told, don't promise something you can't fulfill on, mm-hmm. like in terms of even a safeguarding moment or a commitment to somebody else who says, I'm going to tell you something. Don't make the blind promise. No, lying is, uh, I do think, different. We read consistently in the Bible, and I don't want to steal your thunder, Joe, but you know, about that, that is part of the art of warfare. And in different situations, there are going to be moments where we'd have to lie. You can't be a spy, you can't be a war, you can't do various things if you're not prepared to do that. I personally find that incredibly difficult. Uh, and that's not because I'm somebody special. I, just, I would find that, and I'm, I'm in some ways glad other people do that on our behalf. But the integrity point's massive because as you've hinted, Alicia, in terms of Isabel Hardman or Isabel Oakshot on this one, sorry, she's not going to get another story easily. Who would ever trust her with information that she will not break the code? That's the positive. I want to be the trusted person who somebody can come to. So it's a very t- fine line. And I think the inquiry, so I'm not with her on this one. <laughs> well, um, I will bring my thunder um, on, the, on that subject of... Um, the the tension between trustworthy and honesty, as Peter said, we see this in the Bible time and time again. So we can think of the midwives in Egypt when um, Pharaoh was looking to kill all the baby boys. Um, They hid some. Um, Rahab protecting the spies in Jericho. Even Esther concealing her true identity from King Xerxes and Haman. Um, So the Bible we don't necessarily get moral judgments in those moments, but the story of the Bible and the way that God uses those situations for his glory, for the, for the success of his people would suggest that there is a time and place where it's, it could be the right thing to conceal the truth. Um, but I think it is worth noting that in all of those situations, it is um, human life and um, the continuing of God's line of people that is at stake something to think about i don't often face that in my everyday just life make sure the emails go to <laughs> joe evans who was the one who said you could definitely lie it's all okay <laughs> just when you feedback your forms <laughs> i'm just saying if the line of god's people is at stake you know maybe it's worth it um anyway this seems like a good place to end this week's episode of cross section um Another reminder, please fill in our audience, our listener survey that you can find in the episode description or on the cross-section webpage. On the cross-section webpage, you can also find further reading and videos and things to dig deeper into the things that we've talked about today. And next week, make sure you tune in as we are joined by John Kirkby, founder of CAP, and who has just launched a new initiative called the Isaiah 61 Movement, all about talking to our friends about Jesus. That's next week. See you then. Hi, it's Peter here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cross Section. 
If you liked it, can I encourage you to click subscribe, review the podcast, share the episode on social media or tell your friends so that they can enjoy it too. And don't forget you can email us at cross.section at eauk.org. See you next time.